0: We are in a series on worship and we're exploring what it means to be a worshiping people and and we know that worship is a 24-7 thing we're called to worship God in every situation in every place and every time. Um, But we're looking specifically at the framing of Sunday gathering and the way that we worship together. And what does it mean uh, to worship when we come together? Um, Last week, we looked at uh, uh, an element of worship that I think we often overlook, which is the element of lament. Um, And talking to a few different pastors about that over the last couple of weeks, um, one of the things that came up several times is that there's actually two pieces in worship that in the West we do a pretty poor job of, and they sit at opposite ends of the spectrum. We don't do well either, or neither, (laughs) we don't do well with neither lament nor joy. The Western church doesn't do well at entering into grief and mourning together, and we actually don't do that great a job of joy and celebration. We tend to sit kinda in the middle and in the middle can feel a little like blah. I don't wanna say vanilla, because vanilla's tasty. Um, but when it comes to ice cream, sometimes as the church, we can feel uh, a little bit vanilla. The Bible is filled with invitations to rejoice, to dance, to celebrate, to praise. Uh, When God gave instructions to Moses for Israel, it included a calendar full of feasts and celebrations where they would rehearse the work that God had done, where they'd come together for meals and feasting, gave David this vision and this strategy for a 300-person worship team that would worship day and night, that they'd go to battle with a full marching band in front of them declaring the praise of God. We've got the stories of David, so excited about what God is doing he strips down his underwear and dances freely in the presence of God and we're still not seeing that here yet praise Jesus (laughs) Um, often the unchurched world can look happier more joy-filled and be better at celebrating than the church can be I look at some of my friends that don't know Jesus and it seems like they're having some kind of party at their house for every occasion in the calendar. Uh, They're constantly inviting people over, they're generous, they're posting pictures, they're having fun. And then we come to church and we're just a little bit like, okay, I had a good week. Sometimes I think the unchurched world does this better than us. Research has shown time and time again, there was a big Barna study done about 10 years ago that that rocked many pastors. Uh, Christians are seen as sheltered, old fashioned, boring, out of touch with reality, critical, judgmental. When the Bible tells us we're supposed to be full of joy, and celebration and people who praise so we don't lament very well but sometimes the truth is we don't do joy very well either just as the Psalms are made up of about of, of a third of the Psalms are lament the Psalms are riddled with declarations of praise and at least 50 Psalms invite us to express joy. Um, the whole bible is an invitation to joy but let me look at psalm 50 just very briefly here this is uh, just for context this is the last psalm in the book of psalms psalms is the worship manual for the church and it has been for thousands of years and so this is the concluding chapter in this compilation to summarize everything that psalms is supposed to be about so listen to this conclusion to the book of psalms it says praise the lord praise god in his sanctuary praise him in his mighty heavens praise him for his acts of power praise him for his surpassing greatness praise him with the sounding of the trumpet praise him with the harp and lyre praise him with timbrel and dancing praise him with the strings and pipe praise him with the clash of cymbals, praise him with resounding symbols let everything that has breath praise the lord you can look at this psalm as answering five questions what are we supposed to do praise the lord where are we praising him in his sanctuary so when we gather with his people in the temple and out there in the world as we praise him in the mighty heavens why do we praise him because of the acts of power that he's worked his surpassing greatness as a being how are we supposed to do it Music, instruments, dancing, lots of noise as we celebrate this God. And who's supposed to be engaged? Everything that has breath is supposed to be constantly engaged in this process of praising the Lord, the joy of our worship. Paul says the same thing, but he's really good at saying it in a lot less words. So here's Paul's take on this. As he writes to the church in Thessalonica, he says, rejoice always pray continually give thanks in all circumstances for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus the invitation to the church this description of God's will for us as individuals and when we come together is that we'll be people that are full of rejoicing, that are always praying, and whose posture is one of continual gratitude regardless of what the world throws at us, what life throws at us, what circumstance we find us in. Was Paul making an unrealistic command? Is he inviting us to do something that is out of reach? Or did Paul believe that this is something that we can really achieve? Is it possible that a posture of joy and prayer and gratitude can actually become the foundational posture that as Christians we live in as we walk through the world? Is it possible? I believe it is. Joy, praise, celebration is a core component of how we worship. And we sing songs that celebrate the Waymaker, the promise Keeper, the light and the darkness. And sometimes, when I watch people sing it, the face doesn't match the words. You're the way maker, promise keeper, light in the darkness. That is who you are. I'm like, are we, we're supposed to be excited about this, right? I've said this multiple times. We talked about it on the message on posture. We have done this thing in the West where we have disconnected our head from our heart, from our physical being. And so we have trained ourselves to look eh, stoic, in worship rather than free to celebrate. So my invitation at the end is gonna be, even if just for one song, choose this posture. (laughs) Just put a smile on your face as you sing the words and see what happens. I love this reflection by Tozer, very, very short pithy line. He says this, there's more healing joy in five minutes of true worship than in five nights of revelry. There is more healing joy to be found in five minutes of truly worshiping God than all of the chasing of the things of the world could ever promise us. Joy is critical to how we're supposed to function. We find ourselves chasing things in the world that can never satisfy. Believing the lie that if I just have that one more thing, the one more promotion, the different spouse to the one I've gotten out, I don't feel that way, but I hear other people feel that way. Uh, We chase these things believing they're finally going to give us the joy that we want, but they will never satisfy. We can be critical and grumbling instead of grateful, and all it does is solidify in us a pathway to negativity. Our brains that the synapses of our brains connect in a way that make our response immediately negative rather than training ourselves in gratitude that brings joy we can choose joy we can worship with joy and we can put ourselves in a place where healing joy can be moving in our lives or we can choose a posture of stoicism of negativity of prayerlessness and be stuck in the patterns of our flesh we're going to take a little bit of time this morning to explore some greek words for all the language geeks in the room you're going to be like yay and everyone else is like here he goes again and um, we're going to look at some greek words that help explain the word joy we're going to look at five interconnected words to guide us in our understanding of joy and what it looks like to cultivate this in our lives as we become a joyful worshiping community community so word number one is the word Cairo this is the verb form which means to rejoice so to rejoice to be glad to be well or to thrive I don't know that we always in our minds associate joy with thriving. We associate joy with the emotion of happiness. But biblically, joy and thriving go hand in hand. So we've got the verb, "kairo" to rejoice. It's, I, I think it's interesting because, well for me it's interesting, and for the Anglophiles in the room it's going to be interesting. It's also a word in Greek that they can use to mean farewell. In the British Isles, we have this word that we say, cheerio, cheer. cheer. It's connected to the word joy. It's a joyful moment as we send someone off into life. So this is, this is like saying cheerio in the farewell sense, rejoicing in, in the time that you've had together and the fact that you'll meet again. Okay, so that's the verb, is cairo. Connected to the verb is the noun kara. So if you know anyone called Kara, you now know what their name means. Um, Simply translated joy all the way through scripture. So what I wanna do now is I want to look at some other words that are gonna help you understand where joy comes from and what it's supposed to look like as it plays out in our life. And these are words that you should be very familiar with, in English at least. Word number one is the word charis, which is the word from which we get the word grace. You can see, if you look in there at the letters, the first three letters of Caris are hidden there in the word Cairo. Grace and joy both come from the same word that means to rejoice. I think about uh, David in Psalm 51. As we think about what grace is, our experience of the grace of God moving in our life, we often tie the word grace to salvation. And I see David in Psalm 51. He's just had an affair with Bathsheba. He's had her wife, uh, her husband Uriah killed. Um, He's been confronted by the prophet. Uh, And he gets to this moment where he feels convicted and in his sorrow and repentance pens the words of Psalm 51. And in this place of brokenness over the sin that he's committed, He gives this cry, restore to me the joy of your salvation and make me willing to obey you. Joy is tied to salvation and charis is the New Testament word that is rooted in our salvation. Grace is a word that we use to describe God. God is gracious. It's the word that we use to describe the way he operates toward us, pouring grace over us. It's the word that we describe when we talk about the work that Jesus did on the cross to die for our sins, to be raised from the dead and to invite us back into saving relationship with him. It's grace. It's the word that we use to describe the empowerment that God gives us on a daily basis to be able to walk in the world in his ways, the empowering grace of God required for right living. Joy is rooted in an understanding of grace. Joy is rooted in an understanding that this is something that comes freely from God and is found in Jesus alone. Connected to this, word number two, perhaps makes that more explicit, is the word charisma. I don't know how we end up using the word charisma the way we use it today because of what it means back here. Charisma means gift. It's tied to the word charis. Charis is this unmerited favor and goodness and, and grace that comes from God. But, but tied to this is this word charisma. It's a gift that we receive. Grace is something that we receive from God. We have this thing we, we say in the church a lot, you know, grace is an, an undeserved gift that's given unconditionally. That's actually not True. It's an unmerited gift, we don't deserve it, and God gives it to us, and He gives it to us freely. But He expects a response from the gift that He gives us. He expects gratitude for the gift that we've given. He expects us to live in a way that's worthy of the gift that we've received. He expects us to share that gift with other people. I want you to think about the best gift you've ever received from someone. What's a gift you've been given that you really, really appreciated? And I want you to think of your response to receiving it. And then let's turn the paradigm a little bit. I want you to think of a gift that you were really excited to give to someone else and their response receiving it. No one likes it when you give a gift and someone receives it with stoicism. Oh, thanks. Really like it. Wonderful. You know me really well. I really, truly love this gift. Thank you, everybody. Right? We, we want the response, right? Man, I love it. And that's how most of us respond, right? You get something you like. Ah, I love this book that you gave me it's filled with greek words i love it um we respond with joy with gratitude and it's the natural overflow of what happens inside when we experience the satisfaction of a longing that we've had you've got me something that i really wanted it's the response to the demonstration of love and the quality of relationship that's expressed in the gift and the natural response in those moments is thank you. Sometimes it's so overwhelming, you don't know what to say. You're just like, I don't deserve this. Charisma, the receiving of a gift. When we look at the word charisma, we're reflecting on the gift of God's saving character. We're reflecting on the gift of his saving work done on our behalf. We're reflecting on the invitation he gives to us to be his people. And not just his servants, but his children. And not just his children, but co heirs in his kingdom. We're reflecting at the moment that we look at the gift and we receive the gift, we're reflecting on our need for it. That I need your salvation that I need your grace, that I need your forgiveness. And we receive that good gift and it should do something in us. And there's a strange thing that happens in our faith journey at the beginning, when you first grasp the gift, you tend to get excited about it, and then you kinda progress and the joy of our salvation diminishes a little bit. And sometimes it takes a, a good message, a clear revelation from God, or Him forgiving us of massive failure to reawaken in us the original joy of our salvation. We need today fresh revelation of His goodness, fresh revelation of his saving work, fresh revelation of the invitation to come to him, fresh revelation of the gift that was offered and has been offered every day and continues to be offered so that we can receive it with joy and with gratitude. So for some people in the room, if you feel you're lacking a little bit of joy, if you feel like you've perhaps lost the joy of your salvation, your prayer today should be, God, give me fresh revelation. God, remind me of the depth of my brokenness and the extent of my rebellion and the lengths that you went to to bridge that chasm and draw me into your presence. So God pours out his grace, we receive it as charisma and it produces, the word that we started with, "kara." it produces joy in us. Joy, a deep-seated state of being that is found in our connection to God. Unlike happiness, joy is not situationally dependent. It lives somewhere deeper. Joy doesn't change based on circumstance. And the fact that it lives somewhere deeper, Jesus talks about this in John 15. He tells his disciples, remain in my love, relationship." If you keep my commands, you remain in my love just as I've kept my Father's commands and I remain in His love. I am telling you this so that my joy would be in you so that your joy would be complete. Part of the grace gift that He gives us is His joy coming to dwell inside of us so that that joy can rest in us Change how we perceive the world and then flow th- out of us as complete joy that ignites the people around about you. And, and you know this, right? If you're, if you're in a public space and someone tells a joke and they start belly laughing, you can't help but look at them and smile. And sometimes you start chuckling along with them. You don't even know what's going on, but you just find yourself laughing. You see it, there's, there's this little poem that, that they used to have memorized in school back at home. Smiling is infectious, you catch it like the flu. When someone smiled at me today, I started smiling too. Do you, you know this one? Uh, I can't remember how the rest of it goes. Uh, I wasn't plan- planning that part. So but it's, you know what smiling is infectious you walk down the street or you're, you're going to look around your neighborhood and you pass someone they go hey you kind of go hey and you walk by but when someone's like hey you see the smile the joy is caught and gets passed on the level of your joy is an indicator of the extent of your abiding The level of the joy that you are experiencing is an indicator of the extent of your abiding. Read his words again. If you remain in me, remain in my love, keep my commands, if you do, my joy will be in you and your joy will be complete. Abiding in Jesus invites his joy to rest in us and that joy resting in us circularly makes us want to abide in him more. So if you're looking at your life right now and going, I have no joy, you gotta ask the question, how is my abiding? Am I spending time with him? Am I steeping in his word? Am I getting on my knees in prayer? Am I taking time to listen? Am I gathering with his people? Am I doing his work? Am I being obedient to the things that he says? If we are, joy will be the overflowing result. The fourth word should be a no-brainer by now. The fourth word is the word gratitude. The Greek word is eucharistos, and if you look in the middle of it, the same letters that come from the word joy. It's translated grateful, thankful, pleased. This one's an interesting translation, agreeable. Have you ever noticed the relationship between joy and being agreeable? You don't usually notice it that way, but you do notice the grumpy curmudgeons <laughs> who seem to lack joy don't tend to be the easiest people to get along with. If we're in a situation where we are struggling in connection with someone else, if we're struggling to have a agreeableness with the things that are happening around about us, we have a joy problem. We have a gratitude problem. Takes you back to the opening verse in Thessalonians. Rejoice always. This is the word that's used historically in the church to describe communion. The Eucharist. It's it's the elements of our gratitude for what God has done. It's his grace to us, it's the gift that we receive, it's the joy it births in us and it's the gratitude that it causes us to pour back out in him. And joy is a choice. Paul commands us to rejoice always because he knows we can choose to exert joy. We can choose to be grateful for the things that we have. We can choose to be grateful for the negative situations we're in, trusting that he's using them to transform us. We can choose to celebrate someone else's success when really inside we feel jealous. We can choose to pour joy over the people around us. It's part of what I love about the prayer room in there we had the, the the four walls set up one of the walls was called thanksgiving we wanted to practice gratitude and you go in there and take a look we, we had these bricks and people wrote on these bricks their expressions of gratitude for what god's done past present and future hey, please if you didn't go in or if you went in at the start of the week and didn't see the end of the week make sure you go walk through and just look it's, it's taller than it is in that picture And just read some of the things that people are expressing gratitude for. Gratitude brings joy. If you're looking at the right-hand wall, I don't have a picture of this one for up here, but it says praise and adoration. And the goal there was to reflect on some of the names and attributes of God and and to give God praise for that. And the wall became a a massive post-it note wall of all the character traits and attributes of God. Because when we reflect on who he is, when we reflect on what he's done, when we see his work past and present and when we declare with faith our gratitude for what we hope he's going to do in the future, it does something in us and it brings joy. It brings gratitude and it overflows out of us. This is how it should look on a Sunday morning, this cycle from encountering the grace of God, receiving the gift that he's given us, allowing joy to abide and overflow in us and be expressed in gratitude is the cycle of our worship. But it doesn't finish at gratitude because when we sit in that place of giving God thanks for what he's done and expressing gratitude to him and to the people around us, gratitude invites the transforming grace of God to work on our hearts so that we receive the gift more fully so that we experience even more joy so that we can express more gratitude and then walk out into the world offering that to the people that we encounter. It makes me sad when I sit in moments like this and I look at the cycle that we're invited into and the offer that's made to us and in many senses the vision that we are given for how the church can live life, it makes me sad that people in the world would look at us and decide we're out of touch with reality, we're boring, we're critical, we're judgmental, we're the, the, the ones that suck the life out of the party rather than bringing life in abundance. Something is wrong. We as the church need to recover joy and as we talked about last week, part of recovering joy is our willingness to step into lament, to engage the pain, to allow God to meet us there, and then to transform our experience so that we can express joy and gratitude back to him. What happens when you don't feel joy? What, what's, what's your experience when you're not choosing joy? What do your relationships look like when joy is not a regular feature? What does your attitude look like at work when you're not fighting on your knees to the place of joy as things are hard? When joy is hard to find, lament is the road to joy. When joy is hard to find, revisiting the core truths of His grace and work on our behalf opens the door. And in this series, I'm trying to invite us to think about what happens in us as we worship, but I also am trying to give people permission to engage differently to what happens on the stage. Sometimes, we sing a happy song, and you feel low, and you lack energy. The fight inside is, I mean, there's, there's a couple of choices. I can fight through to engage the tone that's been given to me, or I can choose to stay connected and stay united to the room, but I'm gonna engage in lament. And I'm gonna allow these people to sing in faith truths that right now are hard for me to grasp, and for them to express a joy that's hard for me to feel. And I'm gonna come to you, God, and I'm gonna express the pain that I feel. It's a choice, rather than disconnect, we choose to engage him in the way that he wants to meet us. But, but there is another way in the middle of pain that we enter in that scripture calls the sacrifice of praise. Hebrews 13, through Jesus, remember back to him, let us continually offer God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that openly profess our name, his name. Sometimes, when we gather together to worship and we don't feel the joy, we don't have the energy, we have a choice to offer a sacrifice, to say I'm gonna push through the pain that I feel, I'm gonna push through the discouragement I feel I'm gonna push through the sleepiness and lack of energy. And I'm gonna choose to push my body to engage with joy and trust that your spirit is gonna then do something in me. And some of my most powerful worship experiences are there. In the middle of the pain and the discouragement where I'm like, ah, I'm complaining at God, I'm griping. I bring my yet. Yet I will praise you, God. We had a day where uh, I was in the prayer room in the middle of the night. I, I hit a two hour point. I was like, I think I'm ready to go home. And I was like, oh, we forgot to put the guitar in here. I went and I grabbed the guitar and I was like, I'm tired, I'm struggling. I'm just gonna praise my way back into energy. And I lasted a little bit longer. <laughs> Sometimes the invitation is to offer a sacrifice of praise. So you're invited to be people of joy. As we worship, you're invited to reflect on the songs and allow your heart, and more than anything, your face to reflect the joy that you're invited into. And sometimes, just sometimes, you're invited to push through the barriers that the enemy of your soul is putting between you and Jesus to fall at his feet and offer him a sacrifice of praise. Let me pray. God, thank you for the beauty of the gift. Thank you that the core of the grace that you give us is an invitation to joy. Thank you that the posture that we get to choose to walk in the world is a posture uh, of gratitude. God, we need this morning fresh revelation of your character. God, it's hard sometimes to live in this world. It's hard sometimes to deal with what we face. So we need you to show up, remind us who you are. God, sometimes our joy runs cold because we forget what you've done. God, remind us of the extent of our brokenness, remind us of the magnitude of our sin, remind us of the ways that we grumble and complain and hold grudges and lust and take what's not ours. Remind us of all the ways we fall short and fail to do the things that you're calling us to do. And and then remind us of the gift of your grace that moves our sin as far as the East is from the West. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you dwell in us. And one of your fruit is joy. Holy Spirit, stir joy in us as we worship you. God, may it pour out of our mouths as gratitude. Make us a more grateful people. Would you help us to pivot from seeing the things around us and responding negatively to giving thanks and talking positively? God, I mean, would you send us out into the world to be people of joy that, because of our posture, make the world around us take note and long for the intimacy with you that we have? So God, would you move in us, fill us with joy? In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Before we sing this song, I'm just gonna put a question on the screen, grab a couple of people next to you. Here's the question. What most often robs you of joy?